are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. We had a, an overflow of a hot tub. And, um, you know, in 11 years of leading resurgence, I've not got a text at 3 o'clock. There's been a, a flood. That has not happened in 11 years. There's always something new. And so, um, but so proud of the team. Thank you to all that made this possible. Thank you to Champion City. Um, thank you to the church. Thank you to my team. I just sit here proud of all that's happening. We're in a really amazing season. God is moving, and there are leaders that are raised up that are stepping into their destinies, and I'm just so proud to just get to sit there and see what God's doing. Uh, you're part of it. You're a community, and uh, yeah, His presence is here tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Do you see anything? You know, Jesus could see the blind man, but in that story, the blind man couldn't see Jesus. And Jesus touches him, and then he says, do you see anything? And the blind man is like, I see blurry Jesus. I see Jesus, but he looks like a tree. And Jesus touches him again, and he gets healed. And see, what I see of Jesus affects the trajectory of my life. Vision impacts outcome. What I see is where I'll go. And um, if I see a blurry Jesus, or Jesus just as a tree, then I'm actually not seeing full Jesus. Jesus as a tree isn't a bad thing. Jesus is the tree of life. He's our provider. He's a blessing. He's all these great things. But if I just see Jesus as the tree, I don't see Jesus in the fullness that he has for my life. And we have to see Jesus clearly. See, I, I need to not just see a portion of God, a portion of what's available, but I want the fullness. I want everything he has for me. I don't want some. I don't want to just, just know an aspect of him, but I want every facet of his personality. I want to know him. See, what we see affects our outcome. And um, I think sometimes we settle for a blurry Jesus. You know, I sense God asking each one of us tonight, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A.W. Tozer, in um, the book Knowledge of the Holy, writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above, risen, I like the word risen, above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. What we see of God is so important. See, when you think of the Father, when you think of Jesus, when you think of the Holy Spirit, what mental image comes to your mind? What's your image of God? Where does that come from? I think what Tozer is saying in this quote is he says, 
is that our vision of God impacts everything we do on the personal and societal level. That, that our vision of God impacts everything. See, what a beautiful, without a beautiful, compelling, accurate vision of God, I think we're left clinging to a, honoring a vague, partial, incomplete image. We, we don't know the fullness. We know blurry Jesus, not a clear Jesus. We see Jesus through the lens of my past hurts, through our upbringings, whether they're really good or really bad, through, through my experiences rather than who he really is. We see Jesus blurry. And, and I, I, I want to know that I want to see Jesus clear tonight. I don't know about you, but I want to see him clear. I don't want to let anything in my lenses and my eyes affect my vision of Jesus. I don't want someone else's vision of Jesus. I want the vision that the Bible talks about is for me. I want to see, I want to see through what, what he calls me to see. I want to see him fully. Um, I think one of the aspects to see clear vision that's really key and I want to talk about tonight is the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. I believe that's the key way that we can see Jesus clearly. I believe that's essential. I believe it's foundational. And um, Proverbs 2 says this, and starting in verse 3, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. His whole, he holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. See, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, vision comes from understanding the fear of the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we have wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 25.14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him and He will show them His covenant. He'll show Him His ways. That The secret of the Lord. Um, tonight He's beckoning us closer. I don't know about you, but I want to know the secrets of God. That word secrets, as you, as you look that up, it actually means the full counsel of God. It, it's, it's the circle. It's invited to the circle. It's invited to that counsel. And by His grace, we can sit at the seat. We can sit at the table. We can, we can be in the inner workings of what God wants to do. And it says that, that we'll perceive, that we'll see. To show is the word perceive, to encounter. I want to see what God sees. Do you see what I see is what I feel he's saying over us tonight. Do we see what he says? We don't need natural wisdom. We need the wisdom from God. We operate too much on a natural wisdom and not the wisdom from the secrets of the Lord. I can't operate in Travis. I need to operate in him. And too often I operate in me and not him. See, it's the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. We've got to fear Him. It's the foundation. See, fear of the Lord isn't being scared of God. The spirit of fear is different than the fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear, fear is being um, scared uh, with, with basically, uh, it's the response of wanting to hide. Adam and Eve hid because of shame, and it says they were afraid to be found. 
They were afraid. There was a fear because of shame and what came in. All of a sudden, there was this fear. That's the spirit of fear. That's not good. Everybody say not good. See, um, fear of failure, fear of not measuring up, inadequacy, fear of what we think man thinks, and they don't even think that, fear of man, fear of, um, you know, of missing out, fear of better options, fear of what I've done. See, all that fear paralyzes us into indecisiveness. It, it sadly can dictate our past. It sadly can, can make us inactive. It can sadly affect our responses. It sadly can do a lot of things. That's the spirit of fear. And um, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. That we're not meant to walk in fear, but the power of love, power, love, and a sound mind. Second Timothy 1, 7. See, where the spirit of the, for spirit of the fear is, drives us away from God. It tells us we're on our own, that God's not concerned with us. It grips, it controls, it paralyzes. On the other hand, the fear of the Lord actually draws us to God. It's, it's, it's a reality He's good. It's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. Fear of the Lord is being terrified by being away from Him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. I'm terrified that I'm going to miss Him. I'm terrified that I would be without Him. I'm terrified that I, that I, won't, I won't get a glimpse of Him, that, that I'll go there and He'll be gone. I'm terrified that I'll miss God. I want Him. I want to know Him. I want to know His secrets. I want to know everything about Him. See, the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 14 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's also a secure fortress, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord um, is where we turn and run to Him. We find shelter in Him. We find rest in Him. We find, we find that rest from anxiety in Him. Psalm 139 declares that the thoughts of God that He has about us are, are more than the grains of sand. You know, when I think of beaches, I, I like beaches. I like beaches a lot. I'd like a beach right now, you know. Anybody, anybody with me? And when I think of the grains of sand, you know, I looked up and I googled how many grains of sand are on a beach. And think how long, like think of your favorite beach right now. Think how long it is. Some of you are thinking of the beach in Edmonton that disappeared this year. But you, you know what I'm talking about, like long beach. So one cubic feet, okay, like one, one foot, one foot, a square, okay, one cubic feet. They estimate has 1.4 to 1.8 billion grains of sand. That's one foot. So think how long that beach is. Here's what the Bible says, that God's thoughts about us are more than the grains of sand. Doesn't that make you in awe? God thinks about everyone in this place more than the grains of sand. His thoughts for you are good. His thoughts for you. His purposes for you. His joy for you. His joy for me. His, the things that God thinks about are more than all that sand. See, when I hear that, I stand in awe. See, to fear the Lord is to honor Him. To fear the Lord is to venerate, it's to esteem, it's to regard, it's, to, it's that piety, it's that honor Him over everything else. It's the reverence. I, I, I revere Him. Um, and there's such a love that comes in you that nothing else satisfies. I don't want anything else, I just want Him. It's that point where you just, you want Him. That's the fear of the God, you don't want to miss Him. It's unfathomable. See, the fear of the Lord is where you honor His height, His width, His, his depths of His love for us. 
That's what the fear is all about. It's so good. See, when the fear of the Lord, we can know Him intimately. We can know the secrets of God. Isaiah 11 says this, and, you know, do you see what I see, God says. And I, and I think of Isaiah 11. I used to love this scripture. I, I used to love reading about this, about the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, of God. And it's, it says this in Isaiah, and he's talking about Jesus here. He's prophesying Jesus. And he's saying, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but his righteousness, will be, he will judge the needy and the justice he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. He didn't perceive vision from his natural eyes, but it was what came the wisdom through the fear of the Lord, through the spirit of understanding, through the spirit of wisdom. You, you get what I'm talking about tonight? There's a level of wisdom. There's a level of understanding on the other side of the fear of the Lord. There, there are realms to, to know him where, where we understand in a whole new realm of what's actually happening. It's, it's in the spirit realm. It's the spirit of understanding. See, the delight of the fear of God was a foundation to how Jesus operated. His vision was from the fear of God. His vision was in the heart. You know, I think wisdom is, is where your heart sees. The wisdom of God. It's not with our eyes, but it's with your heart. You see, and I believe God wants to put in us that wisdom to see. In this room, you might be here and you're like, I don't know the direction for my life. I don't know, God, what you're doing in this situation. I want to tell you tonight, on the other side of a, a greater level of fear of the Lord, is a wisdom to understand the workings of God. It, it, there's, there's, a, there's a seat at the table of understanding what, what he's doing. And see, when we start to understand his character, when we understand who Jesus is, everything changes. Moses had an encounter with God, and um, it was on a mountain. And it said that he went and hid his face because he was afraid of God. He was afraid to look at God. He was afraid of what, what would happen. And, and that moment with Moses on the mountain changed the trajectory of his life. It was, it was this moment that changed everything. It impacted his vision. It impacted where he was going. God says to Moses, I've seen and I've heard the cries of the Israelites. <laughs> see, I've seen and I've heard the cries. Moses, do you see what I see? Moses, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Because I see a generation that needs help, and I want to send you there. And Moses became the first Uber driver in, in the Bible in history. <laughs> Because he's like, okay, you're going to go over and pick up a whole generation. Yeah, million people, bring them to you. And what Moses was going to bring them to, it wasn't, if you read it, he says, bring them to the mountain. Bring them to the burning bush at Sinai. That was the first place they, he, Moses went on a mission. I'm going to pick up a generation. I'm going to pick up all these people in slavery. And I'm going to Uber them to the mountain of God. That's what I'm going to do. And that was his mission. And so he, he gets them to this mountain. He gets them all the way across to the mountain. And um, he brings them there. 
You know, when I think about it, bring a whole generation to a mountain, I think that's a call on each one of us. There's a city that needs to know the mountain of the Lord. There's a city that needs an encounter. There's people in our neighborhood that need to be brought to the mountain of God. And I think God has mandated us to bring a generation to a mountain. I think God's mandated us to bring a nation to a mountain. To say there's a mountain of the Lord. There's a mountain of encounter. There's a burning bush for every person that would invite him in, that would want to experience that. And would we be the people that bring a generation to a mountain? And so Moses does this, and they get to the mountain. And in Exodus 19, um, you know, they get there. And see, freedom from slavery was to bring them to intimacy with God. When we get free, it's to bring us closer to Him. It's to bring us closer to the Father. It's to bring us closer in Him. And in Exodus 19, we see that. But in Exodus 20, and you'll read this, in Exodus 20, verse 18, and it's on the screen, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, I used to play trumpet. It was really good. I should have brought it tonight and give a little, little trumpet. Um, and I saw the mountain in smoke. And saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. See, here we have the difference of the spirit of fear and we have the difference of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord was to keep them from sinning. See, when we fear the Lord, we don't want to do anything to hurt him. Disobedience, sin hurts him. Not from the law, but out of relationship. It's not out of rules, but it's out of, if I know someone and I love someone, I don't want to do something that's going to hurt them because I love them. Out of relationship, I want to honor that relationship. I want to hold them esteem. I revere them. I esteem them. I, I hold them up. There's an honor, a humility. Not my ego, but his. Not my pride. It's not about me, but him. See, my value is determined by him. So I don't need to assert my value, but I actually have to assert my appraiser and my creator. Let me say that again. When, when, if my value is actually from him and I know that, then I don't have to assert my value and say, I'm super valuable. I'm amazing. I'm so awesome. Four more Instagrams. But I just have to assert my appraiser. Because <laughs> he says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Because he created me. He's the one that determines my value. So I don't need to try to make my value. Because my value isn't from what I say. It's from what he says. And see, when we know that, it changes things. We don't have to try to assert our worth. Our worth um, but our worth isn't higher than the appraiser or the creator that created us. We, we, have a, we have a trend right now. Assert your worth and be worthy. Well, your worth isn't more than who appraises you and who created you. He's worthy of it all. He's the one that created us. He's the one that designed us in his image. See, when we fear the Lord, we don't want to get out of his flow. We don't want to get out of his step. We, we, we don't want to get out of his path. There's a surrender to us. There's a surrender to me. There's a surrender to our lusts, lusts of flesh, lusts of greed, lusts of success, what we want for our lives. Who, who has determined all that stuff? When we look at what success is and the things we're working at at work or in school or, or whatever, who's determined that? Is that natural wisdom or is that God wisdom? 
Is that God vision for us or is that what everyone else is doing and we're just trying to keep up? See, God wants us to know and be intimate in the secret so that we do what we're called to do. What, 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 what our mandate is. Not what we think our mandate is or what our friend's mandate is. But what lane we're supposed to drive in. Does that make sense? I, um, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I, um, Travis doesn't want to blow it. I can stand here and I can preach a message. I can stand on this stage and I can publicly preach, but where do I know him in the secret place? Do I know him? Do I know him? Do I know what he smells like? Do I know that fragrance of heaven? Do I know the pleasure of heaven? Do I know him? And I understand there's grace and, and, I, and I get that and, and we have a confidence and a trust in the Lord and there's the fear of the Lord that gives that understanding and all of that. And it's not the spirit of fear to be like, okay, well, I don't know if I know him and doubt and all that. I get that. But an awe, uh, an honor. Do I honor him with my life? Do I honor him with my time? Do I honor him with everything? You know, when I read Matthew uh, 7.22, you know, it's, I just think of this humility comes to me. Matthew 7.22 um, convicts me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the realm of heaven's kingdom. It's only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. On the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many miracles for the sake of your name? But I'll have to say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. See, Travis can move in giftings, but not know him. I can lead a ministry called Resurgence and not know him. I can even prophesy over people. Hear the word of the Lord. I can, I can see miracles happen. I can um, post the right picture on Instagram with the inspirational verse and not know him. I want to know him. That's the fear of the Lord, to know him. And that's not to live in a fear of going, oh, okay. But that's actually, I don't want to step out of relationship with him. I want to know him. That's a humility where I, I just, I want to know him. Yes, you can do the things of God, but do you actually know him? You can do things in his name, but do you know him? Paul said, Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's a fear and a trembling to work out our salvation. I can't see the vision for my life unless I fear the Lord. I can try, but that's not exactly the full picture. It's blurry. You know, I'm reminded of the story in 1 Chronicles 13. And in 1 Chronicles 13, it's in Samuel's well, but King David is trying to move the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the box of God. It was where the presence of God was in the Old Testament. And it, he found this structure, a cart, 
I mean, the engineer me likes that. It's like the structure, the car. Okay, we're going to be efficient. We're going to move the presence of God in an efficient and orderly manner. This makes sense. They've done the calculations. They get the ox cart. They get the thing all loaded up. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant is moving along. But something happens. The Ark of the Covenant cart hits a rut. And it's about to fall onto the ground. And Uzzah, I don't even know how to say him, Uzzah, puts his hand out to stop it from falling on the ground. And immediately he's killed. Immediately dead. And then, so what happened is King David, who's overseeing this whole thing, it's his call. I mean, the safety investigators, they're on the scene. It's a shutdown. It's a safety incident. It's an accident. They need to get a report. What happened here? What went wrong here? Let's do, you know. And so they're like, what do we do with the box of God? So they're like, well, let's store it in this guy's house, Obed-Edom. So they take it to his house. Meanwhile, they're trying to figure out what went wrong. And the report comes back. And basically the report says, you were too casual with the presence of God. Uh, I'm, I'm adding some words there, but if you read, that's exactly what it was. You're too casual with the presence of God. You're too casual with his presence. That's what happened here. You took it for granted. You did things out of, of alignment. You tried to make it efficient, but the presence was never meant to go that way. See, so they moved this ark to Obed-Edom's house for three months. And you imagine the request. Um, hi, Obed-Edom. Yeah. Could the box of God just stay at your house for a while? Um, where? Uh, how about in a room? Okay. So, like, you imagine him, like, okay, kids. Um, we are just, you see that guy, Uzzah, his funeral? Don't go in the room. Or you're going to be like Uzzah. Bye-bye. Like, you imagine that? You imagine having the box of God in your house? You imagine the fear, but also the wonder? It's like, what's behind the door? I don't know, Dad. I'm not looking. But you want to look? There's angel wings on the side of it. Like, I mean, this is the box of God, the presence, the glory of God. What happened is it radically transformed the atmosphere of that house. It said that everything Obed-Edom did, his business prospered. It was the glory of God in his house. And to the fact that David got jealous and goes, okay, we need to get this operation back on track because we need that. I need that in my house because it was that good. I want the presence in my house. And... Um, you imagine that. What would it feel like having the heavy glory, having worship and prayer? You imagine going to pray, be like the box of gods in the other room. You imagine the songs that he could write. Like you imagine just the revelation. Like he's going to bed at night and the box, the presence of the Ark of the Covenant's like next to him. That'd be crazy. What God did, the, the glory in the place. So King David does it right. And he gets qualified musicians and he gets people qualified and priests and he gets people that have their hearts right. And they, they actually carry it on their backs and, they, and the musicians worship and they sacrifice the bulls and they, they do all the things. And then David dances in the streets undignified. And even, even his wife despised him for doing that. But he had a fear of the Lord in him. He knew the reverence to God. He knew what it took to carry the presence of God. And he re respected and he honored and he revered. There was a fear of the Lord in him. See, the presence of God was never meant to be carried 
by structure or systems or irreverence, but in people. He moves on people. And um, the people carry the presence. Not an ox cart, not an efficient system, not an not a organization. People. Today, his presence isn't in a box, but in the New Testament, it, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.19, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, we live in a day in a church where we've created ox carts at times. We've created a systems and efficiency and programs and engineered great things, great strategies, and, and they're, all, they're all good. But the presence of God was meant to be carried by people. If we're not building people, what are we building? If the future of our churches, our denominations, our whatever we're part of, all amazing, aren't about sons and daughters carrying the presence, becoming fathers and mothers, then we have lost it. We don't have a future. Because it's about carrying the presence of God. It's about His presence. If the future of what we're doing with resurgence isn't about people, then we've missed it. We're not trying to build a structure or a system, but people. If our future is churches is, is not people, is, is the presence, then we missed it. Obed-Edom, what happened to him? He came with the ark. He was so in love with what happened there. His whole family moved, and he shows up later in Scripture serving in the palace, serving by the ark. Like he found a way to be by the ark. He changed the whole vision for his life because the presence of God changed it. Because he said, I must have the presence. I'll, I'll be a musician. I'll do, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll be a minister. I'll, I'll serve. I'll, I'll be there because I want the presence. It changed him. His vision of his life changed. And as I prepared to tonight, the question that I wrote down is, have we become too casual with his presence? Have we become too casual with his presence? Do we take it for granted? How do we treat our temples? Do we come in every service with reverence, awe, respect, honor to Him? I'm not saying show up in a suit to the next resurgence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the heart posture. Are we too casual with this presence? Are we too casual? See, Moses took his sandals off. It was his ego he was taking off when he encountered him on the bush. You know, in North America, I think, you know, when I, when I travel to Africa and other places, you see the gospel is, is holistic. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the health care in the village that we saw in Malawi. Jesus is the food provider. Jesus is the education. Jesus is everything because they need Jesus. They don't have doctors. Their daughter's sick. They pray. They don't have a hospital to go to. Jesus changes every part of their life. They fear the Lord. They, they have to. It's a holistic gospel. But I think in North America, we've become a compartmentalized gospel. We've put the gospel into a two-hour window, sometimes even less, depending on your church. And that's not bad but we check our box and say Christian 
and we go on with the rest of our lives. We compartmentalize things so well. But it was never meant to be in a box. It was meant to be in us. It's never meant to be in a four walls of a church for two hours. It was He's meant to live and move and breathe in us. So when we go home, the question is, how are we different? The question is, how are we carrying His presence? Because it, these buildings, wonderful buildings and things that can be the ox carts. And we've been meant to carry the presence inside of us. And I think sometimes we can get casualness to our faith. I'm convicted that I've been too casual with the creator of the world. We honor people around us more times, sometimes more than we honor him. We revere people on Instagram or Facebook, celebrities, more than we honor him. We cheer and we follow them. And, and, and we come into our church services with no expectation, no reverence, no honor. Casual. We're worried about who's following us on social media when we should be worried about the one. It's not like American Idol. We don't care about the people. We care about the voice in front of us. We care about the chair that turns around. Do we get his attention? It's like the voice or the one chair or two chairs or Blake turns around. You know? But sometimes we're so worried about the whole crowd. We're worried what people think. We're worried about fear of that rather than what he thinks about us. But what he asks us to do. And I think when we have a fear of the Lord, it changes everything. It changes our priorities. It changes all of that. That casualness goes away because we honor and we're humble and we come before him not worthy, but because of his grace and because of Jesus on the cross, we are able to access him at the right hand of the Father. We're able to be there. See, I, I think, you know, we, you know, we can talk about, um, you hear the word prosperity gospel. And people are worried about the prosperity gospel. I think we need to be more worried about the popularity gospel right now. I think that's what's happening right now more than prosperity gospel. I haven't seen a lot of prosperity gospel. I've seen a lot more popularity gospel. Where it's what's popular. Are we saying the popular things? But are we saying what's in here? Are we con concerned about popularity? Or are we concerned about him? Are we concerned about what people will think? Or are we concerned about what he thinks? I think if we don't fear him, we're too casual. And as a result, we've lost our authority as a church. Because actually, we don't honor his authority in our lives. When we're too casual, we don't honor his authority, so we've lost our authority. I think as I prayed, I felt like, how, how do we actually see the fear of the Lord practically manifest in our lives? How do we make that the foundation? And um, if we fear the Lord, prayer is the foundation to everything we do. The greatest man to ever live was a man of prayer. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. And when things got tough, it says the Bible says Jesus went to a solitary place and he prayed more. He was always about prayer. People telling us to pray doesn't make me want to pray. Hey, you should pray. It's the last thing I want to do if someone tells me to pray. 
So that's not the point why we pray. But when we fear the Lord, we pray because we want to know him. We don't want to miss him. We don't want to miss. We want to know what he's like and what he says. I don't want to miss what he's saying. George Budrick, the theologian, he says, prayer is more than a lighted candle. It's the pulse of life. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Prayer is an exchange. Come to him with your anxiety. Come with him in your depression. Come with him in your burden. And I will give you rest in life. Why do we have, you know, I wonder why we have the most anxious generation ever. Probably because we have the most prayerless generation ever. Because prayer isn't to come with my laundry list. And there's times I'll come before the Lord with things of God. I need you to move in these areas. But if we're leaving prayer not with that exchange, then we're missing something. Prayers, every time we meet with him, we should come with an expectation. Because not only do we want to ask him things, but we receive things. Come to me, the Bible says. Come to him. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When you come to him, you'll get rest. That's what the word says. Proverbs 25, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests untouched by trouble. Wisdom is the vision of the heart. When we fear the Lord, prayer actually changes us. We'll think different. We'll behave different. We'll know the secrets of God different. The, the things that just in the normal day, your response will be different. Why? Because you're praying. There's an exchange. God's calling us, I think, from a consumer mindset to a mindset of contending. That, that we're not consumers, but we're saying we're here to contend. We're here to see breakthrough. We're here to believe. We're here, we're here to co-labor with Him. We're here to be the watchman on the wall. He wants to, he wants to work with us. See, the God of the universe wants to meet with us. And when we fear the Lord, priorities change. Schedules change. We have an upcoming election. October 21st, correct? Vote. Vote. But before you vote, pray. Pray for our leaders. Ask God for who to vote for. I don't know who to vote for. Guy came to my door. I, I don't know. My wisdom, my natural wisdom, I could come up with some ideas and all that stuff. But I need the secrets of the Lord. I need to know the best thing, what God wants to do in my nation. I don't need Travis wisdom for Canada. I need God wisdom for Canada. We don't need good ideas for Canada. We need the power and the presence of God. We need God to give us the wisdom on who to vote for. So we need to vote, but we need to pray. It's time to pray for our nation. It's time to believe again that it'll come back to its purpose and its vision. We need the secrets of God. Resurgence, I'm asking every single one of you tonight, and we are part of this community. Maybe you're here for the first time. So glad you're here. We welcome you. But I also want to ask you, you need to pray. I'm asking you, and I'm begging you, and I'm doing everything I can do but I believe that it's not me, it's the Spirit of God. Because you're not going to pray if I tell you to pray. But I pray right now even the Spirit of God would prompt you. What's our excuse? Why aren't you praying? Why don't you pray? Is it time? Change your schedule. Put it in. 
This week I got an app that reminds me to pray. I have a list of all our lead team. I have a list of all my needs. And it shows up on my phone and it says to pray. There's tools that can help us. There's ways to do it. Dean Millis, pray for him right now. It's on my phone. My mom, pray for my mom. It's on my phone. And at times, and it alerts me. I don't, I don't care what it takes. If, if you're in this place, you're like, I don't know how to pray. It's not scary. It's not hard. Find someone to mentor you. Pick up a book. Learn how to pray. But it's time to get the excuses and shut them down. It's time to stop blaming. It's time to say, well, I don't know how to pray. Learn how to pray. You learn how to ride a bike when you're a kid. You got on the bike. You found out. You fell. You explained. See, here's the reality is, is that even in the Bible, they, they didn't know how to pray. And, um, you know, they, they learned how to pray. It's Jesus taught. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? They didn't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But I want to I wanna fail trying. I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna make mistakes. I want to learn what God's saying. I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to be effective in my prayers. I want to pray the word. I wanna, there, there's different seasons where there's been different things I've prayed. But I, I want to be more effective. I want to I pray more. And I want to pray longer. And, and I'm learning and growing. We're all learning. We're all growing. But listen. You know, we, we announced that we're going to Calgary. We announced that we have some incredible leaders and team, and we're stretching out the tent pegs. It's amazing. But all that's meaningless unless there's prayer. It's pointless. Unless this community raises to a level of prayer, we will not see the impact that God's called us to do. Period. End of story. And so I'm asking you tonight, as a leader, that I just am asking you, would you raise the level of prayer? Would you pray? I want prayer to be the biggest thing we do. I've said this for years, but we have a pre-service prayer that happens at 6.15 to 7 before resurgence. What if there could be more people in there than are in here? Come and pray. You don't know how to pray? Find someone who you think that looks like they're knowing how to pray and say, I want to learn how to pray. They won't be offended. We have prayer on Tuesday nights. We pray for an hour and a half. It's an hour and a half every other Tuesday. Come and flood that room at McKernan Church, and we're going to pray. We're going to learn how to pray. We're going to intercede. We're going to see what God wants to do, and we're going to believe together. Something happens when we pray. So I'm asking you, if we're going to see Canada saved, we've got to pray. Some of you can't come to those things. You pray at home. That's awesome. Keep praying. Gather more to pray. Get groups together and start praying. I don't care what it takes. Get on the phone with someone and say, can we pray together? But pray. God's asking us, when we know the fear of the Lord, it causes us to know Him and to pray. Things will shift in your life when you begin to pray. You know, in Acts, um, in Acts 2, there was 120 in the room praying. And I, and I read this this week where it was interesting. It says that the Spirit of God filled the house, and then the Spirit of God filled the people, and then it actually overflowed and people got saved 3,000 people in a day. But I never really read that word, filled the house first. See, there, there's something that can happen in an atmosphere. And what I sense that God wants to do and he's doing tonight, there was a shift in this place tonight in, in, in worship. But I, I sense what he wants to do is he wants to bring a different atmosphere. We need a different atmosphere in our city. We need a different atmosphere in every church represented. 
My belief is that as you go to your local church tomorrow morning, which you will go to, and you'll wake up and you'll go there, is that there'll be a different atmosphere because you're carrying His presence. I want to see in St. Paul, I want to see a shift tomorrow morning, the blessing of the Lord uh, over you, Chris. And as you go back to drive all the way here from St. Paul and you go back to church, I want to see St. Paul on fire revive. I want to see all these churches that are represented here, Central Baptist, and I can go through the list of them, Zami and all of them. I want to see the greater level of the atmosphere change. But that only happens when you pray. See, it's His presence that changes things. Not good ideas or good sermons or all that, but if his presence is in there, nothing happens. If I preach and there's no presence, then we might as well just have a social club. Might as well just have pizza. Like, it's, it's, it's a waste of our time. The Celtics called the places where God would show up the atmosphere, they called it the thin place. They said there's a thin place. Find a thin place. Maybe it's a chair in your house. Maybe it's a closet in your house. Maybe it's your deck. Find a place where you, maybe it's your car. Every morning I meet with God in my car. Whatever that is, go, God, this is my thin place. Take some oil out, anoint it, and say, this is my thin place. Every time I come in this chair, I'm going to meet with you. I anointed my car with oil this week because I want it to be a thin place. I want it to be a place where the presence of God is, that he has my attention, that I fear him. When I step into my vehicle, I fear the Lord. I know him and I'm present with him. It takes a discipline. We have no excuse. Pete Gregg says this, the point of prayer is not the power it releases, but the person it reveals. The vision of Jesus. See, the vision of this, the vision of everything resurgence is about, any mission we do, any worship, anything, has to be about Jesus. The point of prayer is not the power it releases, but the person it reveals. Jesus. You're going to know Jesus more when you pray. The fear of the Lord also looks like new levels of worship. I think we hit a new level tonight. There was something happening in this place. But I believe we're going to hit new levels of worship. God's doing something special in this community, and there's a new level of worship. I've told our team, I, when I sat with Karis about three weeks ago, and, and all our leadership team that lead resurgence, but God on every night wants to do something in the room, in the atmosphere. His glory wants to move. And we need to be sensitive and to pray and to know what he wants to release in the room. Because there's a reverence. We're not just here to do five songs and then one song and then just do what we always do. I want to be sensitive to what he wants to do. So we're going we're gonna to make mistakes at times, we're gonna, but we're going we're gonna to flow with what he wants to do. Maybe it's one song, maybe it's one course for the whole night. I don't know. Maybe no one's going to preach. I don't know. I don't care. If he shows up in the room, that's what we're here for. We're not here to just get through our program. We're not here to just do resurgence. Resurgence what we're about is arising again is about him showing up in the room, him healing people, him saving people, him transforming people. And we'll be changed as a result. You know, feelings um, cannot be trusted. T.D. Jake says this so well. He, you know, he says feelings lie at times. And it's true. He says um, feelings are built from experience. But when I praise, I'm speaking into my future. 
worship. I worship not on my feeling. I worship not on my circumstance. I worship not on my day. I worship not. I worship on who he is. I give honor and respect to who he is. And it's what the word says he is. It's not what I feel he is. It's not my experience of what happened. That's feelings. They'll lie to me. I don't feel very good. Well, that's not, that's not who I worship. I don't worship bad because I don't feel good. I worship because I'm prophesying into my future gratitude. I'm prophesying faith into my future. He is good and his love endures forever. And I worship him in spirit and truth. I worship him because he's going to move. I worship him because there's a fresh touch. And I worship him because my situation may seem impossible. But there's a God of miracles. There's a God of breakthrough. There's a God that wants to move. That's why we worship. We worship Him. And so there's a level of worship that I feel God as a community wants us to step into. When we fear the Lord, we, and I, I could talk about this all night, treasure the Word. And I've alluded to this, but revival, resurgence, renewal, whatever you want to call it, it looks like a people treasuring this book. If this isn't key, if this isn't a treasure, we don't have renewal, we don't have revival, we don't have resurgence, we don't have a renaissance, we don't have any of those arty words. None. We have to treasure this. We have to know this. We have to open this. <laughs> Get a new Bible if you need a new Bible. Get an app if you need an app. There's no excuse. We need to know the Word. The Word of God. When we fear the Lord, we are constantly repenting. Make sure we have a clean heart. When we fear the Lord... It changes our talk. It makes us get into our vehicle after a conversation and go, I shouldn't have said that. I need to call that person and repent. That was not right speaking. That was, that was actually putting someone down, and that's not what God would say about them. It changes our posture. It changes the things we talk about. It changes the things we watch. It changes the friends we hang out with. It actually changes things because it's a call to holiness. Joshua 7 he, he gets there and he gets face down and he worships the Lord in Joshua 7. And he worships the Lord and, and God's like, why are you face down? Get up. And he's all holy looking. He probably put an Instagram out there. It's like, I fell face down, God, and then quote, you know. And God's like, what, what are you doing? Stand up. You got sin in you. There's sin in the camp. Deal with the sin. You've come to worship me, but you're saying things with your, your lips, but somebody stole stuff. Deal with it. Get right. There's stuff under the hood. You need to get right. See, the fear of the Lord will send us deeper into a level of holiness. No more casual. Casual isn't okay. It's not acceptable. Go and sin no more, Jesus said. See, the fear of the Lord is a full surrender. And when we fear the Lord, our schedule changes. You know, Luke 24 says, will we not wait or tarry on the Lord to endure power from on high? <laughs> I was recently with someone from Africa, and they were telling me about a move of God in Africa. And the actual move of God, they, they meet at about 8 at night. The service starts at about 1 in the morning. And at about 4 a.m., the presence of God falls into place. And then all the pastors go to eat at about 6 a.m. for the after-service fellowship. And they've been doing this for 600 days straight. Because God's moving. 
and people are being healed. And my friend said to the guy, I mean, he was there, he said it was amazing. He said, so why isn't this happening in North America? He said, because North America is in bed by the time God wants to move. Ouch. I'm not saying it has to happen. But how do we make space for him? We, we, we have our schedule and we have our natural wisdom. Oh yeah, we've got to get to sleep. What if he wants us to linger just a little longer? What if at home he wants you to just crack open the Bible and read? Because a moment with him can make a lifetime of sleep. Can be equivalent to a lifetime of sleep. When you have rest from him, it can change everything. One word in, that, in the moment can change everything. So sometimes we do these natural things. Oh, I've got to sleep. got to do this. Maybe he'll wake you up at 4 a.m. and say, would you pray with me? He's been doing that to me lately. I don't really like it. <laughs> but I just say, yes, Lord. Here am I. Can I go to bed now? <laughs> Will you pray a little longer? Will you meet with me when it's not convenient? See, it's not casual. It's not status quo. See, can I be honest? Here's, this is where we're going as a movement. The road I see where we're going, I sense God saying, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see over Canada? Do you see I see that the, over the church of Canada where in the natural, the church in Canada is plateauing. Churches are closing. The church is not growing in Canada. Statistics say that the church is dying in Canada. But do you see what God sees over our nation? See, I believe God's calling us to the, our knees and he's calling us to pray and he's calling us to believe and to see what he says over our nation, to see what he says over the loss, to see what he says over the impossible, to see what he says over every situation that comes against us and say, with the fear of the Lord, we're going to honor him, we're going to revere him, but we're going to see a move of God because it's what God says. It's what God says. I see a nation coming to him, but that doesn't happen without a reliance on the word, without prayer, without new levels of worship. It's time to raise a level, guys. It's time to step up our prayer. It's time to not have excuses anymore. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.